0: Thank you for tuning in again to the Rocky Brown Ministries podcast. I am Rocky Brown. it's crazy I mean when you look at (laughs) there's so much that there is so much nonsense that's attached and associated with and I mean people literally they have literally no idea I mean none whatsoever I, I put together a teaching series on that on the history of you know how I mean like how the scriptures actually came to be you know I mean I really think that the average, probably seventy-five percent of Christians, think that God just opened the heavens and dropped a sixteen eleven King James one day, and that was—I mean—and they, they, you know, they even sing songs about it. I'm using my Bible as a roadmap, like the apostles did, and I'm like, oh my god. Well, and it was i mean, don't get me wrong, i mean we're as far as English equivalence goes i mean it was it was number seven or eight in line as far as english translations and and i mean and it's beautiful and there's errors in it. people don't like to hear that, but i mean there are tra- there are translational errors in it, much like there are every every translation so Yeah, so I mean, it's it, people don't take the time to really look at stuff. They just, you know, I mean, like I was telling y'all there a couple of weeks ago, when I came across that uh, psychology term, motivated reasoning, I've been wearing that out because I mean, it is, it is. When the more that you, when you understand that how people's minds really work, it's like wow. Wow, I, mean, I mean it really is I mean you will automatically I mean I even catch myself doing it you know you'll try to gather everything to you that supports the way that you believe while rejecting all of the information that challenges what you you know what you want to believe and so that's why I always even going like even in teaching and stuff you know I sit and I look at stuff from every angle and I argue myself well, what about this You know, what about this? What about this? What about this? And I'll sit, you know, and I'll stare at a text for a long time, you know, and I'll read it and think about it and read it and, you know. So a lot of stuff goes into it, but a lot of people, they just don't want to put any time into, they don't want to be taught. And they definitely don't want to hear anything that's going to move them outside their comfort zone, Most a lot of people. And so there's where you have a lot of the problems that you have. All right. So we kind of went sideways last week and did something a little different. So we'll go back on uh the topic of Now, this is these last few we're still talking about the subject of healing. But these next categories of scripture really is going to uh well, really, the just every means as far as what we've talked about here, as far as to uh, receiving healing, would be the basis of faith for how we receive everything, right? So when we look at it, and I always like to, and I always like to work from the top backwards. Y'all know me, so I mean, we always look at always look at the number one thing. What's the number one pinnacle thing that we receive by faith? Your salvation, being born again. Well, how does that come? Well, Romans chapter 10 tells us that it starts by what? You believe in your heart that Jesus came here, that he was made like a man, that he's the only begotten son of the living God, that he was offered up as the, as, the, as the offering for the sin of the world, that he shed his blood, laid his life down for us, and that God raised him from the dead. And you confess that with your mouth, Romans chapter 10 tells you, you are saved, born again, right? So when we understand that that is the method in which the absolute most important thing comes, that is the avenue, that's the pipeline, that's the way that the most important thing comes, then we begin to understand that everything else that we receive from God comes the same way. right? So if you go to Romans chapter 4 and it talks about Abraham, Abraham kind of being what a lot of scholars call him the father of the faith, but yet, he really wasn't the first person in the Bible that exhibited great faith in God. Really, the very first person that exhibited great faith in God was Abel, and you come to find out in in Hebrews chapter eleven when you go to the when you go to the the Hall of Faith champions. You know, I mean, it's the very first person, and it goes in chronological order when you go to Hebrews. Ba boom, ba boom, ba boom, ba boom. Abel, Abraham, so or uh, Abraham, Abel, Noah, so on and so forth, right? So, But Romans chapter 4 tells us that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him or it was credited to him. It was charged to his account as righteousness. So, And, that, and because of that, he was made the father of many nations and so on and so forth. So when we understand that what well, seems like an outlandish concept to the people that should not be outlandish because if you've been born again, And you understand how you were born again. But see, a lot of people don't understand how they were born again. They don't understand the process that takes place in being born again. There is a process that takes place. There was a process. You were not born dead in sin, like a lot of people try to teach and preach. We can prove that via Romans 7, that you are born connected to God. Sin deceives you. It kills you. Separates you from God. That's why you must be reborn. Right? So, if you were born in sin, separated from God, you would not need to be born again, implying a second time. See that? It would just be once. You would just need, Jesus would have said, Well, you're just going to have to be born of the Spirit. He said, No, you're going to have to be born again. So, when we look at all of this and we start really applying common sense and we start laying aside bad teaching, churchianity, all this different stuff, you know, the things that we like to believe, you know, that we so that we can fit in with that specific group of people and so on and so forth. When you start laying those things down and you start analyzing the text, looking at the scriptures, studying, you'll really start to come to find out some things that you believed. I couldn't tell you how many times, even up to here just recently. I'd be like, Man, I believed that. And then here you, you know, new light will come or you'll further light will come and you'll learn more. You should always be constantly learning more. You should be more advanced today as a Christian than you were yesterday. And, but a lot of people have the trouble that they're the same Christian today that they were 25 years ago when they were born again. And they never progress. Right. So it's that's the thing is that that's why so many people have trouble. So when we understand that the most important thing comes through believing and speaking, then we understand that that is how we're going to really access everything else. And so we're going to talk about that. So go to Mark 11. Mark chapter 11. Now we're going to look at, we're going to read verses 12 through 14 and then we're going to jump down to 20 because we want to see the whole, we want to see the whole scope of what we're looking at, right? So starting in verse 12, it says, Now the next day when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, or seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would, if he would find something on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, "Let no one eat fruit from you ever again." And his disciples heard it. Now that ends the, that ends that particular part right there. Then jump down to verse twenty, because then it says that he goes on into Jerusalem. Next day, they come back out. And it says, verse 20, it says, Now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt their heart, but believes that those things that they say will be done. They will have whatever, he, whatever they say. Now, you're probably reading the word he there in your Bible, but I'm translating, I'm changing that to they because the words that are used here are all-inclusive. So what is translated as he really should have been translated as they because this term that's used in Greek is implying men, women, people in general. Okay, so this was not, Jesus was not <laughs> gender-excluding women, as a lot of people like, <laughs> like to teach and preach, right? So it's very important. And uh, so we want to so see that. So Jesus answered, and said to them, have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says this mountain be removed and cast and sin, is not doubt in their heart, but believes that those things that they say will be done, they'll have whatever they say." Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. All right. Now, most commonly, well, let me read 25 and 26 and then we'll start breaking this text down. And and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. All right. So there's a lot to that. There's a whole lot of information there that if we just read those verses just like I read them and we just keep on trucking, there's a lot that you're going to miss there, okay? <clears throat> I want to read to you out of Matthew's gospel, chapter 21, and I'm going to read you the same account. You can go there if you'd like, Matthew 21, 18, I'm going to, Matthew 21, starting at verse 18 and reading through 22. It says, Now in the morning as he returned to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves. And he said to it, Let no fruit ever grow on you again. Immediately the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither away so soon? So Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also you will say to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, and it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. All right. Now, a lot of people are going to look at you and they're going to say, I tried that and it didn't work. All right. So here's the story, right? We're going to go back and quote Yoda for just a second. Do or do not, but there is no try. And so people get upset when you tell them that. But here's the story. Really, trying is a very nice word for saying, what? I made an attempt, but I failed. Right? And, there's, and we have been so programmed to want to project our failures on everywhere else but us. That we are even willing to say, well, God doesn't do that anymore. Or that's not for everybody, right? Or that doesn't mean what it says it means, okay? So we're so, you know, we're so adamant about about casting our shortcomings off on everywhere else that we can that we'll even throw it off on God. And that's just the fact of the matter. And a lot of people don't like to hear that, but, it's a, but it is the truth. So see, here's the thing. If Mark 11, what I just read to you right here in Mark 11 is not true, John 3, is not true. And if John 3, is not true, why are we here? See, we talk about rightly dividing the scriptures, but what we really want is we want to hear what we want to hear. And we don't want to hear what we don't want to hear. Right? So let's start breaking this down because I can't speak for anybody in this room, but I've had some epic failures in prayer. Epic failures in prayer. And when I, every time that it, when I had an epic failure in prayer, when I looked at it and I said, Lord, what happened? The Lord would say to me, Well, you knew. Not to do this. Or you knew not to do that. So here's one thing that we run into, especially regarding prayer, right? Oh, we need you to pray, pray, pray. Well, we don't necessarily always need to run roughshod into prayer because we need to get the word on the situation, right? So what we try to do is we try to go into prayer and pray our will into existence instead of stopping and saying, ah, wait a minute. If I ask anything according to my Father's will, I know that he hears me. Father, what's your will? What needs to be done right here? But So see, we're super intelligent beings, right? So we know everything about every situation and how it needs to go and everything else, and we're trying to tell God, do it this way and do it that way, right? And this all this pertains to healing as well because a lot of people need healing, and they're not getting it because they're not going through the appropriate channel to get it. Right? We've talked about this and talked about this and talked about this. If there was one specific way to receive healing, then the Lord Jesus missed it in His own ministry. And people don't like to hear it when you talk like that. But it's the fact of the matter. Jesus did not heal Every single person that he healed through exactly the same method every single time. He didn't. And again, not everybody in the ministry of Jesus got healed. There are times when you... and I gave you all those binders. You go through there and you start looking and you'll come to find out. There are times when he went to certain regions and it says, and he healed... All who were sick and afflicted, but then you come to find out in Mark chapter six and Matthew chapter thirteen, I do believe it is that when he was in his own hometown, those people's unbelief actually stop up God's miracle working power from working, because it plainly says, and they're because of their unbelief, right? And people will say, well, God, God can do whatever he wants. He's God. He can do whatever he wants whenever he wants. He's not going to save you against your... He's not going to make you come stay with him forever if you choose not to. If you choose to go and spend however long in a prison called hell that does not last for eternity, contrary to popular teaching and belief, hell does not last forever. I've got a bunch of blank looks on faces right here, right? At the time of the great white throne of judgment, the prison called hell is cast into the lake of fire. Hell is a prison for disobedient spirits that at the time of the great final judgment, it's cast into the lake of fire. We find that out in Revelation, not 9.16, where people say, you know, the 200 million man army surrounded Israel. Lord help me, I get off track right there on that. You know, I question people's intelligence sometimes. I probably shouldn't, but I mean, they don't read nothing. They don't read nothing, you know. Anyways, all right, so when we look at this and we understand God is not going to make you spend forever with him, and he won't. It's a choice, and that's the most important choice that you can ever make, right? That's the most important choice that you can ever make. God's not going to make you do that. He's not going to force anything else on you. If you choose to rebel and buck against him and not do what he tells you to do, I mean, you're not going to get his best, contrary to popular belief. Well, if God wants me to have it, I'll just have it, and if he don't, I won't. Well, except you can't find any precedent for that in the New Testament. And then people take you over there and they say, well, you know, Jesus prayed that in the Garden of Gethsemane. Yeah, and then you've got to pull them back in there in context and say, "What what was Jesus talking about there? Right, you know. Nevertheless, if this if it's possible for this cup to pass away from me, Father, let it pass from me, but if not, my not my will be done, but yours. What is Jesus talking about there? Because see a lot of people try to group themselves in that same in that same class, yet Jesus knows he's fixing to become made sin. He knows that he's fixing to have the sin of the world, the punishment for the sin of the world poured into him. He know so he's what he's trying to get out of is He's not even trying to get out of it his father. Is there another way? So context is important Kind of like I was telling Cheyenne the other day punctuation is important right? If you send a text that says it's time to eat comma grandma, that makes sense. If you leave that comma out it just says it's time to eat grandma. <laughs> you see what I'm saying and, like, and we look we but we look past all that stuff, don't we? And so let's look at Mark 11. Let's try to figure out what's happening here. All right, so Jesus goes up to the fig tree, curses the fig tree. The very next day, they come back out, and what happens? The Bible specifically tells us that Peter remembered what the Lord had said. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look! exclamation point The fig tree which you cursed has withered away. Now, verse 22 right here, very, very important. Jesus answered Peter and said to him, Have faith in God. So he did not say, This is only something that I can do because I'm the, I'm the Christ, the Son of the living God. He didn't say, I, This is only something that I can do because I'm Jesus. He didn't say that this was done to prove you know, God's sovereign, divine will in the situation. He says, have faith in God. Now watch this. For assuredly, or truthfully, I say to you, whoever. So what's the qualifier here? Who can do this? Anybody who will believe. Whoever. See, that's the same word that whoever right there is the same word that Paul used in Romans, whosoever call upon the name of the Lord be saved. That same word Jesus used in John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever, whoever, whoever will believe in him will what? Never perish but have everlasting life. So Jesus says, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. And a lot of people do that, but here's where they miss the next part. And does not what? Doubt in their heart. But believes that the things that they say will be done. They'll have whatever they say. Alright, so then we probably need to look at this from a perspective of there are things that fall into the authority of the believer that will be time for you to command them to move. But then also, right here in the very next part, Jesus says, therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask for, whatever you ask for when you pray, believing in what? Believe. Believe that you receive them and you will have them. All right? Now keep your thumb right there in Mark 11 and go to 1 John chapter 5. Now, verse 14 and 15 says this. Now, this is the confidence that we have in Him. Now, this is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything, what? Anything according to His will, comma, He hears us. So then the Holy Spirit wants you to know that the very first thing that you should know about in prayer is if you ask your Father in heaven for anything that's inside the scope of His will for you, for your situation, or for your life, number one, I want you to know He hears you. That's number one. Number two, and we know that if He hears us, We know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. So then really, there's been thousands of books with wasted words on prayer tactics. And there's been probably hundreds of thousands of hours of wasted teaching on prayer tactics. When really... When it comes to the petitioning side of prayer, because part of people's problem is is that their prayer life as a whole is wholeheartedly petitioning and never the giving of thanks. But what? Psalm 103 says, enter into my gates with thanksgiving and into my courts with praise. So then what's the protocol for prayer? Number one, unless it's an emergency situation, we always enter into that time of prayer with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. See, what you do in your personal prayer life will show up in those times of emergency. You won't even have to normally... You you know, when when that time of emergency will arise, the Holy Spirit will rise up in you. If you're spending that time in private and in that relationship that problem will arise and the Holy Spirit will say, say this right now. Do this right now. This is the answer. But see, the church has been taught to be beggars instead of conquerors. So you've been made more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Did you ever see Jesus begging God the Father for anything? No. I'm going to say something here that's going to upend your theology and probably kick your theology bucket over Jesus never prayed for one sick person. Jesus never laid his hands on a sick person and said, Dear God, please heal this person. Did he? He didn't. And people will argue and say, Okay, well, that was Jesus. All right. Go to the Acts of the Apostles. The first substantial miracle that is performed in the book of Acts is the in Acts chapter 3, the man with the gate called Beautiful. Go there and look at it. I wasn't planning on going that way, but y'all need to see this. See, you can't it, it, you can't believe in what you can't read and get in the Word, right? You can hear me talk, but if you don't see it in the Word for yourself, I can argue with people, I can teach people, I can debate with people, I can all this different stuff, but the Word needs to speak for itself. Good job, Preston. All right, so Acts chapter 3. Let me get there. Y'all are beating me to it. All right, now look at verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, that'd be three o'clock or right about, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. He just did not have any idea what he was about to get. He got a whole lot more than what he bargained for. Then Peter said, Dear Lord Jesus, if it be your will, please God heal this man. Then Peter and John got down on their knees and started a bawling and a squalling and a snotting and a crying and a begging God. Lord God, if it be your will, if it be your will, heal this man. Now they didn't say that. Was it? Then Peter said, You're not Baptist. I can't help you. <laughs> you're, not, you're not Pentecostal. I can't help you. Did you pay your tithes? Did you, did you give a love offering the last time you was at the temple? <laughs> what did he say? He said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. Now, what's he do right here? Now, see, Jesus said to this, whosoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast, and see it doesn't doubt in his heart, believe the things he says will come to pass, he'll have whatever he says. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He didn't ask him a thing, did he? He didn't ask not one thing. Didn't ask not one thing of God. Didn't ask not one thing of the Lord Jesus didn't have a two-hour prayer meeting, didn't have a two-hour supplicating meeting, didn't get on Facebook and ask 50 of his closest friends to pray at 6 p.m. And we're not, we, we got to break these habits that don't produce anything. See what I'm saying? You get all of these people in all these habits doing all these things, and you ever notice, where's the progress? Where's it at? Well, you very rarely see it. That's what makes people think that you know, your number getting pulled is like the lottery in front of the throne of God. 57's come up. Kathy's getting her healing. And then Gabriel's like, oh, wait a minute. I read it wrong. It's 37. Kathy's not getting her miracle today. Can you see that? Now people will try to argue with you and they'll say, oh, but now, okay, well, that was the apostles. All right. Go to Acts chapter 8. And I'll show you something else. Philip is the only person in the Bible called an evangelist. Now, that does not mean that he was the only evangelist since that time that is. But he's the only person in the New Testament that's called an evangelist. You can find that somewhere around Acts 21 or 22. So that same Philip in Acts 21 or 22 is this same Philip that's right here preaching in Samaria. Now, verse 4 says, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip, the evangelist, went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitude with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and what? Seeing what? Seeing Philip take up a love offering? <laughs> huh? Seeing Philip handing out tracts? <laughs> no. What? Seeing the miracles which he did. Now what now, now it's very important. And Philip went and preached Christ to them. So he's not the Christ himself. He's not one of the eleven. He's not one of the twelve, because Matthias, I believe, was the apostle that was added back in Judas's place. All right. Now, for unclean spirits came crying with a loud voice. Crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many were paralyzed and lame who were healed. And there was great joy in the city. Now, why is this important? It says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them, and then the result of preaching Christ to them produced hearing and seeing M- miracles that he did. All right, flip over there to Mark chapter sixteen. I'll show you something. I ain't even got to my notes yet. All right, now you can start reading at verse fifteen. He said to them, "Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Who he believes, he who believes and is baptized." Will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned, and these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Verse 19. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere. Now, watch the Lord working with them and confirming the word. Through accompanying signs, which is really signs, wonders, and miracles. Now, don't that sound exactly like what's happening in the preaching of Philip the Evangelist over in Samaria? So, then, if we're preaching the same gospel, why are we not seeing the same results? See that? If the gospel that's being preached today is the same gospel that Peter and John preached to that man at the gate called Beautiful, and the same gospel that Philip was preaching at Samaria, why are we not seeing a lot more signs, wonders, and miracles? Because then to say right there, the Lord was working with the apostles, confirming, confirming the word that they preached. Confirming. So you could say it like this. I would confirm the fact that the bank had loaned me $50,000 when I got a check with Rocky Brown's name on it for $50,000. The bank has confirmed that my loan has went through. But if they keep telling me, oh, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, but yet it never comes to pass, guess what? There's no confirmation that the money's there. Don't you like to be paid for what you do? So you look, you, maybe you're paid on Thursday, maybe you're paid on Friday, maybe you're paid every week, maybe every two weeks, once a month. You like to look when that paycheck is going in there as confirmation that your employer has held up to their end of the bargain. Confirming. Well, I'm going to tell you, why you're not seeing what Peter, John, Paul, Philip, and all them people seen? It's because all of these wonderful gospel preachers that we've got today, wonderful men of God, dedicated, separated men, are preaching a watered-down version of the gospel. Because when you look in Acts, every time you see the gospel preached, the power of God's present to heal people set people free, deliver people from the power of the devil. Things haven't changed. Time has advanced. Things still work the same. the same. The same gospel that rose that man up at the gate called Beautiful is the same gospel that healed Kathy's heart valves, That straightened Preston's eye that day. I mean, that all these things. So at some point, if we're going to make progress, we have to ask ourselves, each one of us have to ask ourselves and we have to be honest and lay it all out there on the table and say, do I really believe what I say I believe? That's tough. But if you're gonna live like this, right? If you're gonna speak to your mountain, tell your mountain to move, Hmm. you ain't got to have much for the devil won't come take it away from you that's true you ain't got to have much you ain't got to be a preacher you ain't got to be an evangelist you ain't got to be an apostle, prophet you ain't got to be none of them people you just got to be born again for the devil come to come take what you got see that and when we come to find out that there's a whole lot more that has to do think about this if I read that right, right there in Mark chapter eleven, and John first John chapter five, my prayer getting answered is more dependent upon me than it is on God, isn't it? We don't want to hear that though, do we? I mean, I've been teaching this for years, and I'm telling you, they're still a part of that when I say that. That just you ever just you ever just, just take a you know they talk about just. You ever just try to rub a cat backwards? (laughs) You know what I mean? You ever just... Or a dog? I mean, they don't like it. You know what I mean? Like you just go... Try to go up the grain against their fur. You know what I mean? They don't like it. And they still a part of me, and I'm trying to get rid of it. But they still a part of me that does not like to hear that. But it's the fact of the matter. So let's go back and let's prove that again in 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 the light of the Bible. Let's prove what we just said right there, that our prayer being answered is more dependent upon us than it is on God. Here's the thing. God is faithful. God's faithful. God's a keeper of his word. So if he says, if you'll do your part, I'll do my part. What's that mean? It means he'll do his part if you'll do your part, right? Deuteronomy 7 and 9, I do believe it is, says, therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and mercy with his people for a thousand generations for those that love him and keep his commandments. So God is faithful. Faithful. And it's important, every situation that we go into, even when we're frustrated and we're like, what in the world is going on here? I'm doing everything I know to do. You might say it like this. If you turned your radio on in your car, then you went to 99.5, which is probably still KD country today. I don't know if it is or not. I ain't listening to radio in years, 104.3 or whatever it is. If you turned 104.3 on and you didn't have a radio station, Whatever your favorite radio station is that you listen to every day, if you have one. If you turned on your favorite radio station and all you're getting is static, would you drive over to the radio station and tell them to check their antenna? Would you drive over to the radio station and tell them to check their transmitter? Hey, I think your transmitter's broken. I'm not getting anything on my radio station. No, what would you do? You'd start looking in the car, wouldn't you? What's wrong with my antenna? What's going on here with my radio? You would not call the radio station and try to figure out what's going on with them. So think about it like this. Brother Egan said it like this. Jesus spent a large majority of his time working on the receiving part of man, not the giving part of God. He never asked God for anything. He didn't, when it it came time to cast out devils, he didn't say, hey, you want me to do this? No. Because he got his instructions when he was in prayer time. People say, well, it was Jesus, and he already knew that. Well, if that's the case, why did the Bible say that he had to learn of himself? Why did he have to go to synagogues, be taught the scriptures, and learn of himself? See, a lot of people don't know that. So see... Our problem is not on the giving side of God. It's where are we missing it. So let's prove that. Jesus answered and said, Have faith in God. So that's your base platform. That's where we start. But how many times is that where we start? How many times when we start and the trouble hits and adversity hits and all this different stuff, how many times do we start on the platform of, I'm going to have faith in God? No. We really don't start there a lot of times, do we? When trouble comes up, my God, what are we going to do now? Now, going down there. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, who's going to speak to the mountain? Jesus did not say, pray to me and ask me to move the mountain. He did not say, pray to God the Father and ask him to move the mountain. He did not say, God wants you to get a shovel and move your mountain. Man, I'm topping all the highlights of all these meme, Facebook memes. that's just crossing my mind. (laughs) Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast in the sea, does not doubt in their heart, but believes that the things that, who says? Who says? God says? The Lord Jesus said, You say. We'll be done. You'll have whatever you say. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask for, you, you ask for, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and what? And you will have them. So how much, if, I, if this is my base text for trying to receive something in prayer, and we're talking specifically more about the topic of healing, but who did Jesus just shift all the weight to as far as the believing and the speaking? Not the performing. Now, don't get that mixed up. He shifted it on us, didn't he? So he said, start number one at believing you have, have faith in God. Put your trust in God. And then now there are gonna be things. A mountain comes up. He didn't say, Oh, God's put this mountain in your way. Oh, no. He didn't say that. Oh, no. He said, if something comes up and it's obstructing you, you command it to be moved. Get out of the way. Now, watch this. One time the Lord said to Brother Hagin, regarding this text, He said, You'll he said, I'll call to your attention that I use the word say three times there and the word believe only once. Ain't that what he said? Go back and count it. For I say to you, that one don't count, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, does not doubt in their heart, but believes that those things they say will be done, they will have whatever they say. So he mentions believing once and speaking the speaking part of this, three times. Why is that? Why do you think that is? People say, I don't believe in that believing and speaking stuff. Well, you don't believe in being born again. Because it's exactly how you get born again, is by believing and speaking. We're not talking about name it and claim it. Let's get that straight. We are not talking about a name it and claim it version of the gospel. This is not name it and claim it. I'm talking about this as ascertaining from your Father in heaven who is the Ancient of Days, the Creator of the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that in them is, what His specific will is in this matter. And you know what? You can get God's best or you can get less than God's best. But why is this speaking part so important? Go to James chapter 3. I feel the same way, Preston. <laughs> I feel the exact same way. <laughs> Is that Preston for good preaching, Brother Brown? Chapter 3, verse 1. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers. There's a lot of people who should listen to that part. Knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. All right, so what's that tell you? If you become a teacher, you better know what you're doing because the judgment you're going to go up against for what you teach is far greater than the, than the people that you're teaching. Well, I've got God's grace. <laughs> yes, you do. And you, you get yourself in trouble <laughs> if you ain't paying attention to what you're teaching. right? For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man able to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Now watch this. Even so, the tongue is a little membered and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among, among the members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. Is it unru- It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it... We curse men who have been made in the similitude or likeness of God. You don't have to be on Facebook, but about 30 seconds. (laughs) To see this one played out. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing, my brethren, these things ought not be so. So what's it tell you right here? That your tongue, it gives you two examples. It says your tongue is like, a, is like a, a bit in a horse's mouth. Well, what's that bit do? Well, see that bit, when you pull up on that bit, see that causes slight discomfort to the horse. That ho- That's not comfortable to that horse. It's not, hur- it's not hurting the horse, but it's, dis- it's not comfortable to it either. You're getting its attention. You pull on this side, that bit pulls against those teeth, and that horse goes, Oh, I need to turn this way to get away from that. Oh, you're pulling on the right side. I need to turn this way. Well, what does a rudder to a ship do? Is a rudder to a ship very important? If you think it's not, get in a boat that doesn't have a rudder. I'll tell you something else that's funny too. Years ago, I used to go fishing on Sunday mornings before I was was born again. And one of my best friends in this world is a man by the name of Floyd Angel. And Floyd in those days was about... Oh, I don't know, six four, six five, and right at three hundred pounds, and had a big beard, you know, down to the middle of his chest, and looked like he just rolled out of Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary. And we got up one morning, going to go fishing, and we'd got this piece of junk, John boat. I mean, it was a piece of junk, and I mean, it just—you, as soon as you throw it in the water, I mean, it just leaking. Well, we got in, we put that boat in, you know, put the back end and set her down. I hopped in the back, you know, and Floyd, since he was so much bigger, he'd get in the front and push off. <laughs> we got we got in that boat and got, to, you know, and got the well watered, you know, immediately started coming in, so you know, we thought it was just the bottom of the boat leaking, so Floyd's got his trolling motor, you know, and I got a little old cup of water, and we turned that boat around. I guarantee you, we didn't make it from here to Regina, and we was going down, mister. <laughs> I mean, like the Titanic, going down, well we'd forgot to put the plug in. The drain plug? i tell you what. <laughs> you leave out a little old three-quarter inch drain plug. Kim's a fisherman, she likes to fish. You leave out a little old three-quarter inch drain plug and see how quick your fishing trip are. It don't take but just a, I mean, a hot minute, mister, and you've got a water full of boat, and you got problems when you got a 300-pound man in on one side of it. I'm just saying there's a lot more pressure there Pushing down on that boat. You see what I'm saying? Right? So when we look at this rudder, what does a rudder do? That rudder determines the course. If I'm going to go that way, i got to shift that rudder to where the front end of my boat is heading this direction. So James tells you here, the Word of God through James tells you here, that your tongue works like a rudder to a ship. So what's it going to do? It's going to set you on the path where you're going that's what it says so the words that come out of your mouth actually have power now the world would call that motivational speaking see the devil caught on to that and he understands that and he knows that that's why you you ever see coaches They don't – you know, you have good coaches. Even when they're down, they don't tell their men, hey, you ain't got no chance of winning and blah, 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 and this and that. I mean, you just take a room full of athletes and say, look, boys, y'all ain't going to make it. You ain't got a chance. They ain't going to go out there and hit a lick. But if you can, with your words, inspire them and motivate them, they'll go out there and they may be down by 50 points, but they'll give it all they got. See that? So the devil knows that. That's why he wants to get in your head and get you speaking things that's not in your best interest. So Jesus said it like this, you're going to use your words to move mountains. Remove obstacles from out of the way. In another part of the text, we ain't going to get there tonight, but he talks about, he says, you'll, have, you'll speak to a mulberry or a sycamine tree and command it to be uprooted and it will come. Well, then that obviously tells me that my words have great significance. So then I don't need to be speaking if my heart is bitter. Because I'm going to call something else to your attention. Go back there and look at that in Mark. Because see, a lot of people like to use this as a key prayer scripture, and it is a key prayer scripture, but I'm going to tell you here that Jesus does not specifically say it, but he does infer it that this is actually neutral. He says you're going to have what you believe for in your heart and what comes out of your mouth. So he didn't say you're only going to get all good. He didn't say you're only going to get what God the Father wants you to have or me the Lord Jesus Christ wants you to have. He said you're going to have whatever you set your faith in and what you speak for repeatedly so you can actually talk yourself into sickness and disease. And people say, well, I don't believe that. Well, you talk to psychologists. What do they do? People that are dealing with depression, things along those lines, They don't get them to constantly talk about how bad they think things are. What do they do? They teach them to set their focus on the things that are good and to begin to speak along those lines. Right? So the world has caught on to some of this stuff. You see what I'm saying? Medicine, medical doctors, they've caught on to this stuff. They don't want you going into surgery if you're greatly afraid and they're going to send people in there and they're going to try to talk to you and get you in a better mood and blah, 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 and this and that. Why? Why? Because the believing and speaking part go hand in hand. And think about it like this. You will actually increase your faith in whatever it is you're speaking about positively or negatively based on exposure. Romans chapter 10 tells us that faith for salvation comes by hearing. Hearing what? Hearing the preaching of the gospel. So faith to be born again comes that way. So then Romans 10 and 17, a lot of people will take it out of context. And they'll say, so faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word. Well, faith does come by hearing. And you're hearing and hearing and hearing. That's why it's important when we try to get people to realize and see, okay, you may have a negative report here. Faith does not ignore what is, what the current situation is. Moses did not stand at the Red Sea and go, huh, i well be them Them Egyptians ain't really there, are they? No, he said, huh, we need some help here, Lord. They're they fixing to kill us. Huh? Abraham didn't spend 13 years of his life going, huh, that's an awful pretty baby you're carrying there, Sarah. And her guy ain't got no baby. No, he's talking to the Lord plainly. Look, what do you, you see I man? Does that make sense? So a lot of people will try to teach you that faith ignores what is. Faith does not ignore what is. Faith assesses all parts of the situation and then says, okay, I've got all the natural information right here. Now I got to go over here and get a supernatural report. i got to go to the Word, and I'm going to have to get a supernatural report. Right? Can you see that? See, there's so much, see, there's so much fear in all of this stuff that's wrapped up and packaged and sold and, 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 and carried, and, and Christian people are distributing it. I'm not talking about lost people. I'm talking about Christian people. Christian people are carrying fear right now and distributing it like it's crack cocaine. I mean, they really are. You know, and you can tell that people don't, I I mean, they have not progressed past the cross. Life is not at the cross. Life didn't happen at the cross. It's important to understand that. What happened at the cross, the Bible calls death and humiliation. Humiliation. But We sing songs about keep us at the foot of the cross. Well, he ain't there. If we were going to sing a song about keeping us anywhere, we ought to sing a song about keep us at the tomb. That's where he come out. Why do you want to stay where he went in? He come out of the tomb. He come out of the grave three days later, on the third day. But he didn't stop there. Did he? No. He went right to the right hand of God. So it's important. See, but people... We have trouble getting people to understand there's life past the cross. The cross shows you what he did for you. The resurrection shows you what God did for you on your behalf. And if we don't progress and keep moving forward, a lot of people struggle with the things that we've talked about here tonight because of the fact that they're a 55-year-old toddler. They've never grown in their faith. And I'm not making fun of people. It's very, very sad that people that have been in the faith for a number of years... And I'm talking... I talk to preachers and pastors and local people and people that ought to know better. And, I mean, they ain't... I mean, they ain't, They just ain't got it. You know? I mean, bless their heart. I mean, they don't just keep me at the cross. Well... Why do you want to stay at a place of defeat? You see what I'm saying? There's no power at the cross. And that's another one that rubs the church wrong. But I mean, it's simply the truth. Right? So when we look at these faith principles, we have to look at them and address them as the scripture really says it. Not as we want it to be said. And that's where a lot of people miss it. Because like here in Mark, right? Oh, people love that. Oh, man, people get shouting, and hooting, and hollering. And, oh, yeah, man, praise God, move my mountain, blah, 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 this and that and everything else. They don't even realize that verse 25 goes, hooks up and goes right along with this. The very first word in verse 25 is and, which is a conjunction, tying two statements together. And when you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them. And if you don't know that your father and if you don't forgive those people that have trespassed against you know this you may be born again and on your way to heaven and so glad. But if you are refusing to forgive people that have trespassed against you you have now set a block in your path that will absolutely stop your faith dead in its tracks. But if you do not forgive neither will your father in heaven forgive your trespasses. See that? See, there's all these points that really go to this. Very important to see that you can see, you can readily see why. You know, I can tell you how many times I've went through these and go, man, that's I, that's exactly where I missed it. Here's one for the highlight reel. Proverbs chapter four says this, or Proverbs 18. I'm sorry, Proverbs 18, 18 verses 20 through 21. It says, a man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips, he shall be filled. Verse 21, death and life are in the power of what? The tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. What does that mean? It means that if you love death, Guess what? That's the fruit that's going to work its way in your life. Can you see that? See, we've got this, we've got such a divided church. So many people that are fighting against each other. So, and it's, it's pitiful. It really is. We've got so many people fighting over so many things in the church that I told the Lord the other day, yesterday as a matter of fact because I include myself in this, I said Lord I don't know why you just don't kill all of us really to be honest with you I mean I just don't know what's kept you from just <laughs> I think mean, just every one of us you know I don't think I'm better than anybody else I mean I want to get in there and jump sideways on people and run my mouth and say stuff I ain't supposed to say and I ain't, i mean I struggle too I struggle with keeping my mouth shut can you see that That's kind of a tough one tonight, I know. Because, see, it puts the burden of responsibility back on us. But many people are blaming God for what they don't have, and in truth, it's their fault. I feel the same way, Preston. See that? Tough. Any questions? comments other than Preston <laughs> Preston said <laughs> <laughs> I feel the same way right I, I, I gotta be honest with you I think that I feel the same way about it